This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler, hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come gather round the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. James Corbett of the Corbett Report is standing by in the first hour to discuss the lockdown, the great monetary reset, and more. In the second hour, I had an opportunity to speak with retired U.S. Army Lieutenant Colonel, I know we say Lieutenant up here in Canada, but he's an American, so it's retired U.S. Army Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis. I spoke with him a few days ago, Friday actually, about uh, communist Chinese infiltration here in Canada and in the United States. Uh, we also talked about U.S. the U.S. election, and you'll hear how that conversation went in hour two. Carlos Kajina is the technical producer. Ryan White is the live stream producer. We're live streaming hour one on my uh, YouTube channel, Strange Planet. Hour two will be uplo- uh, uploaded to YouTube in a few days. So again, hour one is being live streamed on the YouTube channel, hour two. Give us a couple days because it was pre-recorded. We'll get up there that up on the YouTube channel, Strange Planet, in a few days. Don't forget, as always, to hit that red sub button while you're on the YouTube channel if you haven't already. So tonight, we uh, continue to hammer away at the case-demic lockdown. Uh, Besides the continuing saga of the U.S. election, which we'll uh, touch on in hour two, the lockdown is really the only story. It's, It's the story of the century. We are living in truly historic times, and people, I think, are slowly waking up to the idea that the lockdown is in part I'm not saying the virus isn't real. I'm not saying that people are are not dying. I'm not saying people aren't suffering. But I'm saying that the lockdown is in part, I believe, cover for something else that's going on. The Great Reset, or as they call it at the United Nations, Agenda 2030. And what I find disappointing, a little bit distressing, is that when so-called journalists and lib media, liberal media types tell you it's all just a silly conspiracy theory. When they say that, my suggestion is you run 
in the opposite direction. If they say that, oh, this great reset is just a bunch of nonsense. It's a silly conspiracy theory. It simply means they're not paying attention or worse. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. The folks at the World Economic Forum and the United Nations are telling us how they plan on using COVID to achieve their objective, which involves a massive wealth transfer from developed nations to developing nations. Let me read from one of the true journalists left in Canada, Toronto Sun columnist Lori Goldstein. The column is titled UN Climate Report Reveals Goals of Trudeau's Great Reset. Conservative MP Pierre Polyev was falsely condemned recently for trading in conspiracy theories. His accusers were liberals, with a capital L, and liberal media who misrepresented what the great reset of society advocated by Mr. or by Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, the World Economic Forum, and the United Nations, where it's called the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable, Sustainable Development, means. It means what Polyev said it means. Global elites using the COVID-19 pandemic and recession to fundamentally reshape society, reduce economic freedom, and transfer wealth from the developed to the developing world. It's not a conspiracy. It's out in the open. It's not a plot for global dictatorship. It's a globalist plan to convince people living in democracies in the developed world to accept a lower standard of living. What reducing industrial greenhouse gas emissions actually means. To we're told, save the planet from catastrophic global warming. Under the plan, according to the UN, Trudeau's announcement Friday that he'll raise his carbon tax to $170 per ton of emissions by 2030 is already obsolete. Trudeau says it will help Canada exceed his 2015 Paris Climate Agreement target of reducing Canada's emissions to 30%, now 32%, below 2005 levels by 2030. But in its annual emissions report released two days before Trudeau's announcement, the UN said even if every country meets its Paris targets, global temperatures will increase by a catastrophic three degrees Celsius this century. The UN now says if the Paris Agreement goals are to be achieved, countries must collectively increase their ambitions threefold to get on track to a two degrees Celsius goal and more than fivefold to get on track to 1.5 degrees Celsius goal. The UN says the only way this can be done, along with the ever-increasing carbon taxes, is by altering human behavior. Altering. Starting to get the picture now, folks? Keeping us locked indoors? Altering our behavior? While the UN condemns the wealthiest 1% of the world's population for generating more than twice the emissions of the poorest 50%, its real agenda is to engineer dramatic lifestyle changes throughout society and in particular to what Trudeau calls the middle class. That's you and me. As the UN puts it, lifestyle changes are a prerequisite for sustaining reductions in greenhouse gas emissions and for bridging the emissions gap. Around two-thirds of global emissions are linked to private household activities. They don't like your cars. They don't like your fireplaces. They don't like your kitchen stove. That's my, those are my words. Reducing emissions through lifestyle changes requires changing both broader systemic conditions and individual actions. 
governments, the UN says, have a major role in setting the conditions under which lifestyle changes can occur through shaping policy, regulations, and infrastructure investments necessary to bring about wider changes in the social, cultural, political, and economic systems in which people live. How? Well, the UN is explicit. COVID-19 has provided insight into how rapid lifestyle changes can be brought about by governments. The lockdown period in many countries may be long enough to establish new lasting routines if supported by longer term measures. In planning the recovery from COVID-19, governments have an opportunity to catalyze low carbon lifestyle changes by disrupting entrenched practices. Governments can achieve these goals, the UN says, through taxation and other policies affecting fundamental transition or decisions we make about our lives from what we eat, preferably meatless, low carbon diets, to how we travel, less by air, more by subsidized electric cars, to how we power our homes with wind and solar energy, at least for higher income earners, given the costs, and much, much more. That's what Trudeau means by the Great Reset. Canadians deserve the truth before deciding if they support it. Well, I've been talking about this for 20 years. I'm so glad fine journalists like Lori Goldstein and Brian Lilly, to name another, are uh, on side on this. And it's not a conspiracy theory. It's a conspiracy fact. In fact, I may have to change the name of my show. It's all going mainstream. Here to discuss the lockdown, the Great Reset, including a possible global monetary reset, is James Corbett. James is an award-winning investigative journalist. He's lectured on geopolitics, uh, delivered presentations on open source journalism at the French Institute for Research in Computer Science and Automations. Uh, and he's uh, also, of course, the editor, writer and producer of the Corbett Report beginning in 2007 an outlet for independent critical analysis of politics, society, history, and economics. James Corbett, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? I'm doing as well as can be expected, given the circumstances that we're all living under right now. Um, but I do appreciate you for having me on again, Richard. It's been a couple of years since we last spoke. But as I know you know, uh, things are getting more serious than ever. So I'm glad you're one of the voices that are speaking up about the very, very dark times that we're heading into. Right. And I just uh, I read I, I, I thought it deserved a full read. Uh, Laurie Goldstein's piece, again, one of the few journalists in Canada that still or that is able to, to speak about this or that has the temerity or the, I guess the courage is the word to speak about this. Uh, would you concur with the main the main sort of themes of this, uh, that that the, the lockdown and covid, although, you know, I do believe the virus is real, but. It's it's being used as cover for, among other things, UN Agenda 2030. I think not only would I agree with that, I would go several steps further, because if we want to look at the very, very long term consequences of what we are looking at here, it is not just about the uh, expectation of austerity that's being bred into the population right now as we move towards the neo feudal plantation. But ultimately, the end goal is for a massive culling of the human population down to levels uh, that are quite drastically smaller than they are today, uh, depending on which of the globalists you want to listen to. Uh, for example, Ted Turner has proposed bringing the human population down to 250 million people, um, but he has been in bed with the 
the Rockefellers of the world and the Bill Gates of the other uh, world and other people that he has on the record been conspiring with behind the scenes to try to bring these plans about. That is ultimately where we are heading. So we are being prepared and conditioned for a, uh, a prolonged period of economic devastation of the verities that we have grown up with our entire lives and lived with our entire lives. And uh, that is really just a preparatory stage to the culling of the human population, which is part of the longer term agenda. So someone uh, on on Twitter today, I thought, made a brilliant point, and that was uh, they keep sort of moving the goalposts. First of all, it was two weeks to, to flatten the curve. And then, you know, then they extended that, of course, on and on and on. And then they opened it up for a little bit. And then they and they won't tell us exactly how long. Um, and, and, and the reason for that is if they really told us the truth, there'd be rioting in the streets because the truth is they intend to keep us locked down indefinitely. This is an incredibly important point of the uh, propaganda that we've been subjected to this year, which is to keep the population constantly expecting that things are about to change just around the corner, just two weeks to flatten the curve, etc., just long enough to condition us to accept what is going on until the point at which eventually it is revealed that, well, we have entered the new normal and things will never, ever go back to what you expected them to be. The latest iteration of that, of course, is the rollout of the vaccines, the vaccines that are going to save us all, uh, which uh, we've been promised all year. And now that these experimental mRNA and DNA vaccines never before approved for human use are being given emergency authorization by uh, the FDA and the UK government and the European Medicine Agency, uh, despite the fact that the clinical trials that are testing their safety and efficacy are still ongoing. Let me underline that everyone who takes one of these vaccines is participating in an ongoing experiment with the public. But having said that, even now they're starting to say, well, we don't know if these vaccines will even prevent people from spreading this this deadly killer virus. So you'll still have to uh, observe social distancing and the masks and all of the other mandates that are now going to be part of our lives. I have a message for your audience tonight, which is that the things that you have been conditioned to accept over the past several months are going to be part of your lives for the foreseeable future if the people who are in these unelected positions of public health authority have their way. They are not going to relinquish this power anytime soon until we start rejecting the principles at base that healthy people need to lock themselves away inside their homes because we are now all responsible for everyone else's health, uh, completely subverting the basic principles that we have structured our entire society on for centuries. This is insanity. We have to reject it at its root before this becomes part of the public consciousness. Well, I, I've been saying for, for some time that uh, a, a free people, if you, if you truly believe in individual liberty and civil liberties, a free people are best suited to, to, to manage their own risk. We do that every day when we get behind the wheel of an automobile. Every day we, we go to work. We have to be allowed to manage our own risk. We're adults. Uh, democracies uh, and, re- and, and, a, and a republic are designed for a free and moral and responsible people. Uh, We have to be allowed to manage it on our own, not, you know, the government can't be our parents. That's not the way it works in Western civilization. 
That is exactly the case, and that is exactly the point. I made a video uh, back in, I believe, April of this year trying to get at the root of what's going on right now called What No One Is Saying About the Corona Crisis, in which I attempted to articulate this point. I have no authority or ability to control you or your body, and I would not even presume to stop someone who wants to isolate themselves because they are afraid of a virus or any sort of pathogen. They want to protect themselves. I have no ability and no interest in telling those people what they should or shouldn't do. If they want to hermetically seal themselves off from the rest of humanity for the rest of their lives, I say, go for it. I have, I have no ability to stop you. I don't want to stop you. Having said that, all I ask in return is my ability to live my life and again, you can take any precautions that you want. I will take the precautions that I deem necessary to protect my own life and my own health. And that is the way that we structure society in a way that we can all function. But no, no, now we're starting to get this new idea being inculcated in the public that we are all responsible for everyone else's health. So we, healthy people, have to isolate ourselves. This, is no, this has nothing to do with a virus. This is about control, and it is exactly in line with the rollout for a global Great Reset, as they themselves are calling it, uh, to basically institute uh, measures of strictures and control on the human population that have never before been imaginable, but just now are becoming technologically feasible. Right. Uh, and, and put another way, I, th I agree with everything you said. There's another saying uh, that that um, my freedom does not end where your fear begins. Um, to what extent, James, do you think that uh, Agenda 2030 is also just sort of another layer? Uh, I, I mean, uh, people, regular listeners to this program know my my beliefs about anthropogenic global warming. I, I, I think it's a hoax. Um, and so they're telling us that. Uh, in order to save the planet from catastrophic uh, man-made global warming, they have to keep us locked down. So I mean, that's just another sort of layer to this uh, to this hoax, right? It absolutely is. And you will notice that these agendas that are being rolled out right now dovetail perfectly because the agenda itself is the actual point. And whatever sort of excuses that they lay on top of that point are really just excuses that they are using to drive it into the public consciousness. And for many decades now, as I know, you know, they have attempted to use the uh, the climate change myths to try to put fear into the public, to motivate them to change their lifestyle. That wasn't going quickly enough. It was unlikely they were going to achieve their Agenda 2030 dreams just on the back of that particular hoax. So they have rolled out another hoax that seems to be working a lot more effectively for the would-be controllers of society. And uh, again, this is going exactly according to plans, plans that have been wargamed out, uh, not just in Event 201, which I'm sure your audience has probably yes. heard about, the, the event simulating a globally spreading coronavirus last October, co-hosted by the World Economic Forum, the Bill Gates and Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and uh, Johns Hopkins, but also in uh, numerous exercises, Crimson Contagion and others, that have been uh, wargaming out the different ways that essentially the medical martial law scenario that we are seeing playing out across much of the world right now uh, was laid uh, carefully, the infrastructure for that was carefully laid out. And so we are 
basically living through a convenient excuse for a long-planned agenda. And that's laid out in pretty clear detail with the Agenda 2030 uh, ideas, the Sustainable Development Goals. Uh, of course, it, it's covered in the woolly re- rhetoric that we've all been ta- trained to clap like seals when we hear, oh, it's about sustainab- sustainability and, and growth and equality and inclusion. But of course, all of this is really just prepping us for the neo-feudal plantation in which we will be at best the uh, the cattle that are uh, allowed to live on the increasingly small reservation, while uh, the people who are running this agenda, of course, will monopolize the world's resources. James Corbett from The Corbett Report is with me for the hour. Just a reminder, coming up an hour or two, you retired U.S. Army Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis on uh, the Chinese, communist Chinese infiltration into Canada, the United States, also perhaps involved in rigging the U.S. election. But that's just another conspiracy theory, right, folks? All right. Uh, uh, we are uh, heading into a break in about uh, three minutes here, James. I just wanted to quickly uh, get into this or start this part of the conversation and we'll continue after the break. And that is this idea of uh, transferring wealth from the developed world, which is the West, Canada, the United States, Japan, Europe, to the developing world. Uh, As far as I can recall, China is still considered, even though it's an economic powerhouse, still considered part of the developing world. Uh, And of course, we see that, you know, they're not reducing emissions. They're they're, uh, bringing more and more coal-fired plants online. Is this really, if we break it down, about transferring wealth to China? This is about the creation of a convenient boogeyman for the Cold War of the 21st century in the same way that the Cold War of the 20th century was perpetuated by the Lend-Lease Agreements and other ways that Wall Street and uh, the banking class really did prop up the Soviet Union as a convenient Potemkin village, uh, the scary boogeyman against which uh, the the same interests that controlled the American empire could use uh, to basically corral their own population. That exact same dynamic is being set up in the 21st century with the deliberate buildup of China as the economic juggernaut that it is becoming, completely on the back of the uh, the carefully laid infrastructure of Wall Street and uh, the corporate corporatocracy uh, that has uh, essentially offshored so much of the wealth of the West to China over the past couple of decades. And now that that economic juggernaut has been created and it's increasingly becoming a geopolitical juggernaut, uh, it is now becoming the boogeyman for this 21st century new Cold War conflict, uh, which will, again, be used to control populations at home, first and foremost. It could eventuate in some sort of actual hot geopolitical conflict, um, but it doesn't necessarily have to, as the 20th century uh, Cold War template shows. Uh, just as long as it can be used to control populations at home. If people want more information on that, I would highly suggest they check out a report that I did several years ago now on China and the New World Order, detailing those connections, how they were built up by uh, David Rockefeller and his associates and cronies uh, in the 1980s and then through the corporate transfer of wealth in the 1990s research and development that has led to the creation of the Chinese uh, juggernaut of today. It was a deliberate strategy and it's uh, paid off uh, quite well for the would-be controllers of society. All right, James, we'll take a time out and uh, continue to discuss uh, the lockdown and the Great Reset right here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Stay with us. Where there's smoke, there's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. James, how do we um, watch the uh, the Corbett Report and uh, watch your documentaries, read your your articles, and so forth? 
All, all of my work is available 100% for free to the public at CorbettReport.com, C-O-R-B-E-T-T Report.com. I am on YouTube, unfortunately. As we know, it is a heavily censored program, platform at this point, but I'm also on various other social media platforms. But CorbettReport.com is the best way to find my work. And in fact, uh, specifically for what is going on right now, I would highly suggest people go to CorbettReport.com slash Gates, G-A-T-E-S, for my two-hour documentary on who is Bill Gates, talking about the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation's influence on absolutely every aspect of the agenda that we're talking about right now, how it has developed, how it monopolized that control, and ultimately how it plays into that uh, depopulation agenda that I talked about earlier. So Agenda uh, 2030, rather, uh, the idea that uh, at least this is where I think it's going, and we, we hear things with, uh, like sustainable development and we hear things like smart housing. <clears throat> Excuse me. So do they intend by 2030 to have us out of personal automobiles, um, no more flying, uh, no more – well, the, the suburbs obviously are an anathema to, to uh, sustainable development. Do they want us out of, out of you know, large – uh, large houses into stacked housing. Is this the aim? Do they think they can do this by 2030? I think 2030 might be aspirational, but it uh, is increasingly looking like it could be possible consi- considering how far and how fast they've pushed the agenda this this year. In fact, if you would ask me at the beginning of the year if 2030 was a feasible date for this plan, I would have said, well, not really. But as we have seen over the course of this year, perhaps uh, things could be moved along on that timeline. But regardless of whether or not we reach it by 2030, I think that is ultimately where we are being pushed right now. And uh, it is it is part of a, a much longer agenda. In fact, as you as you said, Agenda 21, I mean Agenda 2030, because, of course, I think the original plan was to get here by the 21st century, by 2000, 2001. That timeline didn't add up, so it was pushed back and pushed back. It became Agenda 2030. It will become Agenda 2050 if they don't achieve it by 2030, unless we uh, fundamentally start to remove these organizations and bodies that are imposing these strictures of control on the human population right now. Uh, That's going to be a monumental task, but it really is the task of free humanity because everything uh, that Agenda 2030 is aimed at is uh, eliminating independence from humanity, independent spirit, independent ability to act uh, without the blessing and approval of corporate slash governmental overlords uh, to the point where literally you can't leave your house without permission in various countries around the world today. Uh, and that it would have been remarkable, a remarkable statement to make at the beginning of the year. Oh, how things have changed in the course of one year. Can you imagine where they will be one decade from now? So is this in some regards another beta test? And each time something like this happens, they're just going to up the ante in terms of restrictions? I think we have crossed the threshold into a new paradigm with this event, and it is called the biosecurity paradigm. Uh, I have been talking about this for several months, but I think it was best articulated by an Italian philosopher named Giorgio Agamben, who wrote about the biosecurity state. He has been writing for years about uh, constitutions and times of emergency and how uh, constitutions of various countries can be subverted by various events. And he uh, noticed exa- as soon as this started uh, playing out this year with the, the lockdowns, he started to notice 
the parallels between the previous paradigm, the, te- the terror paradigm. We were all supposed to be in mortal existential fear over this terrorist threat that has been eclipsed seemingly overnight by this new viral threat, which is even more insidious because, again, the entire uh, package that we're being sold this year is this idea that not only are these terrorists walking around, people who actively, consciously are trying to inflict pain and suffering on others. No, now anyone could be a terrorist, a bioterrorist, an asymptomatic carrier of this viral infectious pathogen that's spreading their germs willy-nilly if they're allowed to just wander anywhere, which is why we have to come in and control absolutely every aspect of your existence and every breath you take. That is a wonderful, convenient excuse for people who want to eliminate uh, freedom and independence from humanity. And we've seen that play out in every possible way this year, right down to, of course, the elimination or uh, at least uh, the, the, the virtual eradication of small businesses, independent businesses in favor of the gigantic mega corporations that are thriving, even as the average person is being put uh, uh, out of work or on the economic ropes as a result of what's going on right now. Eventually, of course, the plan is to get the population in a position of dependence on government largesse because the government will come in to take care of us with its wonderful stimulus, uh, which will eventually be rolled into a UBI, universal basic income, with some strings attached, of course, making sure that you have your vaccination, making sure that you are complying with all of the the rules and strictures imposed by the public health authorities, etc. And that is uh, that is ultimately what this is about. It's a new paradigm. It's a biosecurity paradigm based on this idea of bioterrorists asymptomatically spreading whatever viral pathogen they tell us is spreading through the population and getting us to do whatever they say, jump through whatever hoops they ask us to jump through in order to uh, protect the rest of the the population. Uh, Many of us are familiar with the term The Great Reset from Carl Schwab from the World Economic uh, Forum and his book on COVID-19 and The Great Reset, which came out at lightning speed, something like four months um, into the uh, it, at a time when about half the world was in in lockdown, it magically appears this book ready to go. Uh, but it's also been tied in the Great Reset, that is, with something called the Fourth Industrial Revolution. How does the Fourth Industrial Revolution and uh, artificial intelligence and and robotics fit into this? So the Fourth Industrial Revolution was an idea that Carl Schwab uh, uh, Schwab was pimping at the World Economic Forum back in Davos in 2016. He co-authored a book about that um, at that time. And you'll notice that all of uh, his uh, uh, books are co-authored because I have a feeling that he's not, this 81-year-old man is probably not writing all of these books himself. But having said that, the Fourth Industrial Revolution is the concept that we're living through a new neo neo-industrial revolution. And this one is based on uh, these types of cutting-edge technologies that are going to, uh, as as Schwab himself says, are going to combine our physical, biological, and digital identities. And I think he means that on the most literal as well as the most abstract levels. Very literally, I think this has to do with the coordinated agenda to roll out a a biometric identification grid that is being... um, 
forwarded by suspects that you wouldn't necessarily suspect. Of course, there are uh, purpose-made NGOs that have been created for this, like ID2020, with, of course, the backing of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. But less obviously, you have organizations like Gavi, the Vaccine Alliance, which is a uh, a quasi-NGO. I'm not sure exactly what it is. It involves uh, uh, participation with the big pharma manufacturers to ensure access and and healthy growth of vaccine markets. Um, So it is a a type of industrial institutional uh, uh, player on the scene. But it is also, in addition to its its stated intention of trying to vaccinate the entire world's population, it's also now getting involved in uh, identification schemes to directly tie in your vaccination history to uh, an identification that will be tied into your biometric national ID, um, which will also eventually be tied into your digital payments, um, which is another aspect of this agenda that's being run by the World Economic Forum's friends and allies at the Bank for International Settlements, the International Monetary Fund, uh, various central banks around the world where uh, they're trying to look at schemes for how do we put everyone on identification schemes that then we can just airdrop in uh, stimulus checks directly into your uh, bank account. It will take the form of a digital currency that will be created by the Federal Reserve or whatever your local uh, uh, central bank is, the Bank of Canada in your case, uh, just out of nothing, of course. Um, but the, this will be tied into your vaccination history, etc. So you see that every every node on this network, every part of this web connects to every other part in a way that's almost mind-bogglingly, unimaginably large. And I think that the public suffers for their lack of imagination or understanding about how big this agenda is and how deep it goes. Uh, Schwab also t- talked about, uh, in the foreseeable future, uh, brain scans being used to determine or for risk assessment before allowing someone to cross a border or to get on a plane. Your thoughts? Again, I think uh, the average person in the public has no idea the types of technologies that are being proposed and are being actively worked on and developed at the moment. Um, And one of those are, of course, as as we have occasionally caught glimpse of uh, here and there uh, coming out of various researchers, is this idea that uh, there are going to be increasingly effective brain scans of various sorts that will uh, be able to essentially read people's intentions and thus will be good screening tools at uh, at national borders, etc. Again, it sounds like science fiction fantasy, and I am inclined to believe that, like lie detector tests and other such um, pieces of criminal forensic work that uh, have been proven and demonstrated to be uh, scientifically useless but are still uh, admitted as actual evidence in courtrooms. I think the mind-reading technology of the future that uh, Schwab and others are promoting, and I think I called him Carl earlier, of course it's Klaus Schwab, um, uh, it, are, 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 are chicanery and probably will, will not actually work. But as long as the public believes that these technologies work, and oh, well, the computer said that you are a terrorist, the computer said that you are thinking of doing X, Y, or Z, then we can arrest you for that in the pre-crime um, nightmare scenario that's coming into play. And pe- again, people think 
if they were just listening to us talk about this, uh, they might think that we are the crazy weirdo conspiracy theorists that are talking about this. No, 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 no. It is the Klaus Schwabs and others of the world who are in position to know about this technology, to actively fund it into existence, to create the infrastructure that is rolling it out right now that are the ones that are talking about this. Go and read their words directly. Go and read their writings about these things. Listen to their talks. We are not the ones making this up. They are the ones that are saying this and are in some way preparing the public for that to become a reality. Welcome to your uh, socialist dystopian future, folks. James Corbett stays with me back with more of The Conspiracy Show right after this. Where there's smoke, there's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. Award-winning investigative journalist, writer, producer, editor of The Corbett Report, James Corbett is with us. Uh, James, how did... The World Economic Forum, the, the United Nations, how did they get Western leaders, uh, people like our premier and his cabinet, uh, how did they get them on board with this? Is it, I mean, granted, you know, some of our leaders are not our best and brightest. Uh, they're, they're ambitious. Uh, they have political aspirations, but they're not, you know, the, the, the sharpest tool in the shed. But how did they... How did they get them to go along with this? Or do they not see what's happening? Why can't they see what's happening? Well, I think part of the problem actually is the the public's acceptance of these people as leaders rather than misleaders um, and rather than what they really are, which is puppets uh, to be strung along by people who are really pulling their strings. And the people who are really pulling the strings, as always, are the ones writing the checks or the ones more accurately creating the money out of nothing through the banking system itself. So I don't think that the political um, puppets that are paraded out in the public as the shadows on uh, Plato's cave walled for us to uh, vent our anger on or whatever it is are the ones that are even factors in this equation, really, because we have seen it has been demonstrable throughout the course of this year that the people who are really able to influence and uh, affect a global agenda are the ones in the positions of this, uh, what we wouldn't think of as political power, but the people in positions at the World Health Organization and other international bodies like this that are now becoming de facto dictators of world policy. Of course, it's all implemented individually by individual governments. It's not that the World Health Organization or these types of bodies can, can actually dictate anything, but we see how this is being done. And it is being, of course, bankrolled by the likes of the Gateses and the others of the world who are pro- providing the, the greasing the skids monetarily and financially for the, uh, the laying of the infrastructure that is the real uh, governing uh, principle of, of the societies that we're living in. Uh, the politicians, the political, the voting booth is, is the, uh, the child's uh, steering wheel that you give to the child in the car to make them feel like they're doing something. It does nothing to change this agenda. And until the public understands that, then they will not have any chance of actively and effectively resisting this agenda. I want to talk a little bit about going back to the uh, the monetary uh, system and the global reset on the monetary system. Uh, our Deputy Prime Minister and um, Finance Minister, Christia Freeland, uh, seemed like she was telegraphing uh, her government's intentions a couple of weeks ago or maybe a week ago. Uh, she mentioned, uh, and this video is available, anyone can see it on YouTube, she talked about how she was looking for suggestions on how her government could access or tap into the $1.5 billion that Canadians have in savings. 
as a way of stimulating the uh, the economy uh, post COVID. It seemed to me again that she's telegraphing when she, uh, looking for a way. I don't know to claw back or to bail in. Uh, does does that sound s- sort of uh, eerily familiar to you? Do you see this as maybe a, an, an attempt to? Um, I don't know, collapse the, the, the current financial system and replace it with something else? Uh, yes, in fact, that's exactly what I think is happening right now. And there is uh, a very recent historical precedent for this, this idea, uh, which we saw it taking place in India three years ago uh, during the demonetization event, where the Indian government came out and announced, you know, effective uh, six o'clock tonight or whenever it was, uh, suddenly those uh, larger uh, 500 and 1,000 rupee notes that you have in your wallet that you think are money will no longer be redeemable as money. You'll have to go to the banks and turn them in to get the new forms of those notes. And uh, that might have been strange or surprising to some, but it was actually a brilliant move on the part of the Indian government to essentially rake in a lot of the the cash, the free-floating horrible, icky, non-traceable cash that these uh, individual people are, uh, are stuffing under their mattresses and, and keeping in, uh, uh, squirreled away from the government are using to trade with each other uh, that they call black money. That's the term that the propagandists in India use. It's black money because it's not money that can't, isn't taxable and the government doesn't know about it. How do we get all of that money in and then in, in, uh, in a way that we can make sure that everybody is uh, is is taxed and, and controlled, well, we'll have to recall the money, recall the larger notes, and everyone will have to trade them in. And that's exactly what happened. And as a result, one of the results of that is that India uh, suddenly leapfrogged a number of nations to become a leading nation in terms of digital payments. Uh, a lot of Indians have turned to digital payments in the last few years. I think we are seeing a similar sort of process Uh, At least the public is being prepared for a similar process to take place in Canada and other Western nations right now. And that uh, Indian experiment may have been essentially a uh, trial run of that. And interestingly, who popped up during that Indian demonetization scheme to talk about uh, what a great idea it was and how excited he was about it? Of course, Bill Gates, of course, gave lectures in India about uh, the the merits of, of exactly that scheme. And and that, again, ties into other parts of this agenda, as everything does. For example, India, as people may or may not know, operates the largest biometric identification database on the planet. Over one billion people have had their fingerprints uh, scanned and their irises scanned into a biometric ID database that then assigns every single Indian uh, resident a 12-digit number that is uh, part of the, uh, tied into their Adhar identification, as they call it, and which then is tied into your tax rolls and your bank accounts and your financial information. So all of this goes together. They are creating the, the, the biometric identification database that will be tied into your financial information, which will eventually, uh, the, the longer term goal is for it to be 100% digital so that the central banks can literally directly control every single transaction that you make. I cannot stress this enough. When we are giving up the idea of cash flowing in our society in whatever form, we are giving up the most fundamental layer of economic freedom that we have, which is the ability to transact with others voluntarily in the way that we wish. 
Now, literally, central bankers like uh, the managing director of the Bank for International Settlements, Augustin Karstens, was just on a, a live stream with the uh, head of the IMF and other central bankers, gloating, rubbing his hands in glee about the amount of control that these central bank digital currencies will give the central bankers to monitor and control and potentially stop every single transaction in the economy. This is the game for all the marbles. And once that system goes into place, there will be very little chance for resistance against this agenda. All right, James, we'll take one final time out and come back, continue discussing the lockdown, the global monetary reset and more. The Conspiracy Show continues in mere moments. Stay with us. This is no place for the naive or the faint-hearted. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. So, James, would you be... um concerned about having money inside the, the, the banking system? I mean, should we can be, be concerned about uh, our savings, our $1.5 billion in savings in this country and, and, and others around the world? Yes, we should. And for many reasons, not only because I think that we are being engineered into an economic crash, the likes of which we haven't seen for at least a century, but also because, as I say, the longer term agenda is essentially to eliminate any prospect of economic freedom from the human population. And uh, that is really the most worrying thing of all. So I'm not sure even if you were allowed to maintain your dollars or whatever they end up being called after the transitionary event takes place, uh, even if you were allowed to retain them, what is the use if you cannot spend them in the way that you like? Uh, Once that control is taken out of your hands, the value of actual transaction becomes nil. So I think that the longer-term prospects for people who are interested in guarding their wealth, their actual wealth, not just zeros in their bank account, are uh, is to be found in the decentralization of control and in in favoring absolutely anything that allows us to retain our ability to interact and transact with people on a direct one-to-one level uh, without the need for a middleman, whether that be a banker or a government or anything else. Gold, silver, cryptocurrency, your thoughts? Uh, any and all of the above, plus let's throw in um, let's systems, labor exchange trading systems, uh, various hours systems, alternative currencies, community currencies, direct barter. Uh, there are many, many, many ways to transact outside of this system of control. And I think we really should be learning to flex that muscle right now because it is not going to get any easier as we get further into this. And as I always like to stress, no matter what uh, systems or, or fancy monetary ideas that you come up with, the underlying base for any uh, form of currency is going to be community. If you do not have a community of people that you know and can trust in some sense uh, upon which to create the relations that will form the basis for that currency that you're going to use to exchange in, then you will not be able to do it. it you cannot put the cart before the horse. You have to have a community first and foremost. And that's exactly, I think, precisely why we are being encouraged to lock ourselves in our own homes and to stop all human contact that isn't intermediated by the big tech companies. It's because our ability to interact with each other really is the greatest threat to this agenda. 
which points again to the direction that we should be heading in, which is exactly in the opposite direction we're being told to head in. We need to maintain our actual contact in the real world with other real human beings to form those communities, to form the basis for a real uh, and, and lasting and meaningful opposition to this agenda. How else do we resist and fight back? The only resistance that is really going to matter, that is going to make a difference to this uh, at this point, is organized disobedience. We are going to have to disobey orders at some point, which I know is going to be uncomfortable for a lot of people who know themselves to be good, law-abiding people. They're not troublemakers. They do not want to rock the boat. They don't want to, uh, uh, to resist others and, or, or see themselves in that light. But when the system starts to push you against that wall, we do have to stand against it. And I think the way to do that is through disobedience. And that's going to have to take many different forms. And I'm sure everyone out there can see the ways that they can apply that in their own lives. But we're going to have to do that. And I think it will have to be organized to some extent. And I, I dislike that idea. That goes against my ideas of decentralized and, and uh, sort of lone wolf resistance to these, these sorts of agendas. But if enough people aren't doing it, it will be exceptionally easy to pick off the ones that are, which is why we have to support the people who are opening their businesses against public health orders. We have to support our communities in various situations where the police are trying to enforce laws and orders that we know are against uh, the flourishing of hum humanity. And uh, I don't take th these ideas lightly. I think we really have reached an inflection point in human history where people like Klaus Schwab and others are openly now talking about the end of humanity. Not my words. That is what they are talking about with the transhuman revolution, the fourth industrial revolution. If we want to preserve humanity itself, I think we have to resist this agenda and we have to stop simply obeying dictates and, uh, and, and uh, obeying the orders of these unelected public health authorities. Uh, I'm not telling anyone to take any particular action or not to take any particular action to protect themselves in whatever way they feel they need to take uh, in order to protect their health. That isn't what this is about. This is about being able to have the choice to interact with others in the way that you want. And that is the base level of what this should be directed at. Where are the uh, where is the media? Uh, I mean, there are a few journalists. You are one. I mentioned Lori Goldstein, uh, who uh, I think is kind of a little bit late coming to the dance. But God bless him. He's 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 uh, he's aware now of what's happening. But where are the rest of them? Where is they are supposed to be uh, sort of, you know, our, our last best hope to keep people accountable. They are supposed to afflict the comfortable and give comfort to the afflicted, and they are doing neither. Where are they? What has happened? Well, unfortunately, the business model uh, that has uh, pertained to the media industry over the course of the last century has involved greater and greater centralization of, uh, of media control in fewer and fewer hands, and those hands are inevitably connected to the corporatocracy, the banking establishment, the international institutions, that is where the money for these operations, these uh, mass media platforms has traditionally come from. And that's why we see them all trending broadly in the same direction. You do see voices here and there that go against the grain, but they are few and far between and are generally stamped out when they start to make a real difference, which is, again, why 
the flourishing of independent media, like what you are doing, what I am doing, what others are doing, that has been largely facilitated by what is happening online or has been happening online for the past couple of decades, is such a an existential threat to the dinosaur media model of these mass media purveyors and why it is now being so obviously uh, stamped out or squelched out by these various censorship policies and practices, which is why it is exceptionally important for people to be supporting the independent media that is bringing this from a genuinely independent perspective that aren't taking paychecks from Big Pharma or whatever else to sell you the next snake oil. Um, that uh, unfortunately, nothing is free, and people have to support the people who are actually doing this independently, or else all you will get is the advertiser-supported corporate uh, dross of the me mainstream media that has been selling, selling you and your family down the river for generations now. How much longer do you think you'll be allowed to continue to do what you do? In the form that I'm doing it right now, I would be surprised if I even make it to the end of the year. I do have a report coming out on uh, the future of vaccines and vaccine technology, or at least what they call vaccines. But of course, uh, given the types of mRNA and DNA vaccines and the bioelectronics and the other sorts of things that are being worked on right now, I'm not sure that uh, you could even call them vaccines, but I am doing a report on that type of technology and what is coming in the future. And that, of course, is the one of the big verboten things that you cannot mention on any uh, social media platform or else you will be censored. So I, I expect I will be censored from mainstream platforms uh, in, in the coming months. But having said that, I have been preparing for this for years. In fact, over a decade ago, I was supporting uh, independent upstarts that were trying to uh, form video sharing platforms uh, in competition to YouTube. I've been supporting these ideas for a long time. So now I am on various uh, alternative social media platforms where I think there will still be ways to get the word out, at least for the time being. Uh, but it is getting harder and it will get con continue to get harder. And, uh, and that's why, again, I think people need to actively be seeking out and supporting the people who are bringing this information. Uh, James, once again, how do we uh, watch your uh, videos, your documentaries, your read your articles? CorbettReport.com. Again, everything I do is 100% freely available to the public. Uh, of course, I do rely on the support of people out there, but I never ask people to support my work unless they have already seen my reports and know uh, the, the quality of the work that I deliver. Uh, but having said that, everything I do, I always provide sources back to the source material. If I talk about Klaus Schwab or something that uh, uh, Christine Lagarde or someone else said, I will always include a link back to the original document or video so that you can prove it for yourself and come to your own conclusions because I respect the intelligence of the average person out there in a way that the mainstream corporate dinosaur media does not. They try to tell you what to think and they try to keep you away from the actual sources of information. I am the exact opposite. I exhort you to go to the original sources so you can see I'm not the crazy crackpot talking about this. It is the Klaus Schwab's of the world who are talking about these crazy ideas and this is their stated agenda and uh, that's why it is extremely important that we become aware of it so that we can more effectively combat it. James, you're doing uh, great work. I wish we had a thousand like you over here in Canada. You, we, need, we need that so badly. Thank you so much for this. Thank you for doing what you do. It is more important than it ever has been.
James Corbett, The Corbett Report. All right, when we come back, retired U.S. Army Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis on Communist China's infiltration of Canada, the United States, plus a little bit on the U.S. election. Back with more in a moment. Stay with us. Live from Toronto, Canada, Earth, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. Thanks for inviting me into your home, long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' well-appointed basement with the simulated wood paneling, electric fireplace, and the painting of dogs playing poker, your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. Hello to everyone listening in on our flagship station, AM 740, 96.7 FM Zoomer Radio here in Toronto. And hey there to each of you tuning in on one of our affiliate stations across North America. Hiya to those streaming us live at zoomerradio.ca and on the Zoomer Radio app. Howdy to those streaming us on the YouTube channel, Strange Planet, and please hit that red sub button. However and wherever you're listening, I bid thee the warmest of welcomes and I thank you for your fine company. Retired U.S. Army Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis is standing by to discuss recent revelations of the Chinese People's Liberation Army training exercises here in Canada, communist Chinese infiltration at the highest levels of the U.S. government, the U.S. election, and much more. A quick programming note. Next week on the program, two hours of open lines. There is so much going on in the world, and as 2020 rapidly winds down, I'll dedicate the entire program to open lines. Retired U.S. Army Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis graduated from the U.S. Military Academy, the Naval Postgraduate School, the Command and General Staff College, the Defense Language School, and the Army War College's Strategy Course. He's an Airborne Ranger Infantry Officer with service in four infantry divisions on three continents. Once retired from the U.S. Army, he joined the Family Research Council, where he rose to be the Vice President for Policy before returning to the Pentagon 16 years ago. He is the Vice President for his contracting firm with duties at the Pentagon, where he supervises a team of national security experts and serves as a security cooperation expert for the Department of the Army, as well as instructing a course at the Army War College. He's the author of nearly a thousand articles and a number of books, including Future War, Deadly Consequences, Never Submit, The Deeper State, Alliance of Evil, and his brand new one, Collision Course. Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? I'm doing well, Richard. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. We are living in tumultuous times. That old Chinese proverb, may you live in interesting times, uh, certainly uh, is apropos. I want to talk about China right out of the gate, and this is a blockbuster story that has emerged out of Canada. Rebel News here in uh, Canada, which is kind of a renegade upstart news organization that has been maligned generally uh, by the mainstream media up here, in fact, ostracized. They've been denied access to the press gallery in Ottawa. Meanwhile, the press gallery in uh, in Ottawa has authorized access to a Chinese a communist Chinese newspaper. Go figure. So Rebel News breaks the story. Uh, it appears after securing some uh, government documents 
that somehow were not redacted, which is another story we can discuss later. But uh, these documents show that our Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, conducted at least 18 different military projects with the the uh, the PLA, the People's Liberation Army of Communist China. Let me get your, your first reaction to this story. Well, the Chinese are trying to do things all over the world. The fact that they're uh, in Canada does not surprise me. Um, there are obviously are incentives on the part of the Chinese for uh, militaries around the world to collaborate with them. You know, my perspective, though, uh, as a someone that works at the Pentagon and someone that's concerned about foreign disclosure and especially relationships with the communist Chinese, is that uh, this is rather alarming. Uh, my concern further is that uh, because the United States and Canada collaborate on a lot of military hardware and technologies, uh, that any uh, maneuvering, especially with ground troops, uh, using Canadian uh, equipment uh, could potentially compromise that equipment and the science and technology that our two countries share. The Chinese are well known for stealing virtually anything they can grab. You know, I know the United States alone, on an annual basis, estimates that it loses $600 billion worth of intellectual property to the Chinese. The military is the worst, and they'll steal uh, virtually anything they can. So if they're in your backyard, if they're training with your forces, you know exactly uh, they're here to collect, and they'll do it accordingly. Uh, we also understand that the Canadian Armed Forces... Uh, wanted to cancel a winter warfare training session with the People's Liberation uh, Army, which was scheduled for Canadian Forces Base Petawawa, that's here in Ontario. And they, like you just mentioned, they warned the Trudeau government that it risked a knowledge transfer to the Chinese. Now, what what possible gain would the Chinese, the PLA, have in training uh, doing uh, or conducting winter training exercises in Canada. What's in that for them? Well, I have conducted winter training exercise with Canadian forces, uh, mostly in Alaska, because we have obviously a lot of collaborative activities. Uh, the The Chinese are very interested in the Arctic. They're very interested in the Antarctic. They're interested in developing capabilities that would allow them not only to operate in, in severe cold conditions, of course, they, they have that to a certain degree along the Russian border that they share, uh, but they don't have the true Arctic conditions and the equipment that goes with that. A lot of equipment can't operate in those extreme conditions. You know, I've been in operations where it's 70 ambient degrees below zero Fahrenheit. Uh, so it's incredibly tough. Uh, the lubricants that you have for certain types of equipment, uh, the the range fans, or the you know the number of powder bags you use for artillery and so forth. There is a lot that you can learn, uh, either discreetly or you know up front from an armed forces that has learned to operate effectively in incredibly cold climates. Now, keep in mind uh, the Chinese, you know, though they aren't a Arctic country. They have a giant icebreaker. You wonder why? Well, because they want to use the Northwest Passage uh, to ship goods 
uh, to Europe. And, of course, they could do the same thing into uh, North America, whether into Canada or the United States. Also, and if you follow the news, over the last year, uh, the Chinese communists have been uh, in a pitched battle, an irregular warfare operation against uh, the Indians in the disputed area in the Himalayas. Well, I happen to know that, you know, we're in good you know, relations with the Indians. We work with them, try to help them to prepare for uh, perhaps you know, a more aggressive uh, People's Liberation Army trying to seize more land up there. So there are a host of issues, you know, not only technology, but geopolitical issues that are involved in this particular type of um, collaboration with the communist Chinese. So theoretically, it's possible that we could be helping the Chinese to train the Chinese, the PLA, for a uh, a shooting war with our friends in India and possibly somewhere down the road, some sort of a military uh, encounter with uh, our American cousins. No, there's no question about that. You know, it, it is incredibly difficult. Uh, you know, I've been an operations officer for infantry units in the Arctic. It's incredibly difficult to learn those skills and then to retain those skills. And the Chinese, if, if in fact, and I believe it's true, uh, they're ambitious for uh, the mineral deposits in the Arctic region, much like the Russians are, but also in the Antarctic, uh, they have to develop these skill sets and they have to develop the, the equipment, either buy it or make it. Now, knowing the Chinese, they're probably going to steal the technology for uh, over-snow operations and special lubricants and so forth from whomever they can get it, whether the Canadians or the Norwegians or the United States. They're going to find it one way or another, and it's going to help their operations. So geopolitically, this this is not a good sign that uh, we, the Canadians and the U.S., are allowing the Chinese in our back doors. Retired U.S. Army Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis is with me here on The Conspiracy Show, the author of Future War, Deadly Consequences, The Deep, the Deeper State, Alliance of Evil, and his brand new one, Collision Course. Um, Bob, it, it, um, it may or may not surprise you that in addition to the, the this training exercise, which it did in fact, despite the protests of the Canadian Armed Forces, it went through. Uh, the, um, the delegation, the PLA delegation visited Canada in February of 2018 for winter training. Uh, but in addition to that, as Ezra Levant, the, uh, the head of Rebel News pointed out on Tucker Carlson's program the other night, uh, in addition to all of this, there are PLA officers ensconced in our military colleges up here. What are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, the, the Chinese, the Russians, every university, military university around the world tries to bring in uh, partners or allies into their education system. I can tell you the United States Army trains about 10,000 uh, foreign officers and enlisted personnel on an annual basis in our schools. Uh, the, the rationale is that we're preparing them uh, for not only their future, but also as uh, collaborative partners uh, in future conflicts. Now, you know, we have uh, general officers from the Canadian forces that are working at Fort Hood, Texas. Uh, we have Canadian colonels that I work with every day in the Pentagon. Um, now, when you start to invite, however, 
the Communist Chinese, the People Liberation Army, and bring them into your schools. Uh, one, they're there to collect everything that they possibly can, like a vacuum cleaner. Uh, and I think it's sending the wrong type of message, because there's no secret if you read Chinese doctrine and Chinese uh, plans for the future, they have every intention of being the world hegemon in terms of security. So uh, if they come across anything that's going to be useful for them by having them embedded in your school system, uh, they'll do just that. You can't protect all your secrets if, in fact, you let the enemy uh, inside your home. And that's precisely what happens when they come to our schoolhouses. Uh, in, in addition to this, now the we have uh, two of our citizens, the two Michaels, we refer to them as Michael Koverg and Michael Spaver, who have been languishing in a Chinese prison under horrible conditions, apparently, uh, almost two years to the day. Uh, they were basically abducted and uh, uh, held for a, a long period of time uh, without uh, even official charges. They, I, I believe they have since been officially uh, indicted. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to, to think of some excuse why we, we would be co- cooperating with the Chinese to this extent. Now, the training exercise, I believe, predated the, uh, the arrest of the two Michaels, but I, I, I don't know. Is there, is there any other plausible explanation? In the, I don't know, in the interest of fostering cooperation for, you know, to, to improve relations. Is there any condition under which you could see Canadians doing this? Well, in fact, uh, not knowing exactly what the Michaels uh, may have on the, the Red Chinese, it's quite possible that you know, they don't want them released because of, um, implicating information that they would bring home and it would uh, be shared with your intelligence uh, personnel and therefore uh, really have an impact geopolitically uh, from one nation to another. Um, We're incredibly careful in the United States, especially with our military, in interfacing with uh, the communist Chinese. We know how they operate. You know, when you know, and I know for a fact that we've sent delegations, military delegations, to Beijing, uh, Beijing uh, for high-level talks. And when they go over there, they take new cell phones and then they uh, discard, they destroy those cell phones when they come back because we know they're they're listening to absolutely everything, reading every text, every piece of information they possibly can. So, you know, if you go into a relationship knowing full well that they're totally unreliable, they're going to cheat every opportunity, uh, and you go in there with your eyes open, then it's understandable. Uh, now, the con- situation with the two Michaels, I, you know, I don't have any particular insight except that, you know, the Chinese, you know, they're, they're brutal. Uh, we've seen what they've done to the Uyghurs. We've seen what they've done in Hong Kong. Uh, we've seen what they've done across the world in the relationships they have with one nation after another. They just scarf up, they destroy, uh, they take advantage. Um, so yeah, I can't think of anything good uh, that would come from the current situation. Our prime minister is on record uh, as, as saying that he admires China's basic dictatorship. When you look at that statement, uh, plus you look at what is happening with these training exercises, uh, let me ask you, and, and I'm not being facetious here, is it possible that our prime minister is a Chinese asset? No, I can't speak for 
him. I don't know. But uh, calling the, the anything that's praiseworthy toward the Chinese, you know, they're, they're Marxists, they're communists. Uh, you know, President Xi Jinping uh, is probably as brutal uh, as Mao Zedong. Mao Zedong killed, you know, an estimated 70 million people during the Cultural Revolution, 67 to what, 72, 73. Uh, you know, Xi is incredibly ambitious, and they will do whatever. You know, arguably, they've used COVID-19 uh, for their very purposes of manipulating uh, not only the world economy, but the world geo geopolitically. So I, I don't set anything aside when I consider uh, how ambitious and ruthless uh, this regime can be. The, uh, you mentioned uh, the Arctic, and uh, China is, is bidding on a Canadian gold mine in the Arctic. I believe the, the Chinese company is Shandong. Uh, I'm assuming that they would be at least in part, if not entirely, state-owned. So again, the Communist Party would, would be controlling that. Uh, what uh, what are your thoughts on China gaining control of a gold mine in the Arctic here on Canadian soil? Yeah, I, I would suspect that it's not just gold that the you know, Chinese are looking for. They've cornered the world market, and this is critical, uh, on rare earth metals. And where you find gold, you find other rare earth metals, and those go into the most sophisticated weapons that we have these days. They go into the simple things like your iPhone. Uh, they go into other uh, critically important components of satellites and the like. So uh, I'm not at all surprised that the Chinese, uh, who have purchased indirectly uh, some, some mines themselves in the United States, have gone elsewhere in the world uh, using Belt and Road Initiative uh, to buy up all sorts of mineral deposits. They're involved in Afghanistan. Uh, they're involved... Uh, in virtually every continent. So, as suspicious as I am, I don't think it's just gold that the Chinese are after. How will this affect U.S.-Canada relations? Let's say, for example, that uh, Joe Biden does become the President of the United States, and we can't declare him President-elect yet. Um, if he does, maybe it won't matter. He seems to be very simpatico with the Chinese. What if Trump, somehow, this Supreme Court uh, kind of Hail Mary pass goes through, the election is, is reversed, and Trump remains in office. Let's start with that first. How will President Trump pers uh, deal with Canada going forward if we seem to be so cozy with the communist Chinese? Well, if it's validated that uh, the coziness of the Chinese uh, cannot be rationally explained, and I am very skeptical that it can be, uh, then we have a number of of alternatives. Uh, as I've indicated earlier, we have a lot of Canadian forces uh, that we work very closely. They, they live, you know, in my region, in northern Virginia, next to the Pentagon, and they work in the Pentagon. I see them every day. Uh, they're embedded in our forces, and we're embedded in their forces. Uh, we could pull out of that. We could pull out of a lot of science and technological uh, armaments agreements that we have uh, if, in fact, you know, that information might be compromised as a result of working with the Chinese. Like I say, the, the Chinese are a sieve. Uh, they're going to suck up everything they can and send it back home. Uh, 
Um, and they have plenty of spies we know here, and their cyber activities are pretty good. But why in the world would we want somebody that is a, clearly a Chinese military person, of which uh, many of them are, are well-trained to do precisely the type of surveillance that I'm talking about? Why in the world would we want them to be uh, you know, in our country, in our military, and near our our secrets, doing the things that you know are going to help them, but at the same time compromise our relationship, U.S. and Canada's relationship, uh, over what? Um, it just doesn't make any sense. What about NORAD? Could you see, I mean, Canada exists in many respects largely thanks to the security umbrellas uh, you know, provided by the United States. Uh, what would happen to NORAD? Well, you know, if you go out to Colorado Springs and you go inside under that big Cheyenne Mountain and you go inside NORAD, you'll find a lot of Canadian uniforms, and rightly so. We collaborate. It's, it's you know, a very effective program. Uh, you have to understand the Canadians, not the Canadians, but the Chinese um, have announced in the last month or two uh, their completion of their you know, satellite network, which allows them to accurately pinpoint and direct ballistic missiles virtually anywhere in the world. Now, is there a nefarious activity or aim uh, in, you know, trying to perhaps understand how to cripple NORAD? Well, if I were a military strategist, which I happen to be, and I was working for the Chinese in Beijing, I would say we need to figure out how to cripple uh, what used to be the dew line, uh, a series of radar systems all the way across the entire northern tier of uh, Canada and Alaska. If you can do that, you compromise, and you compromise uh, their, our ability to track incoming uh, ballistic missiles. And that's or something the Chinese would like to do. All right. Uh, as it turns out, the United States has a, a considerable China problem as well, and uh, we'll discuss that in uh, mere moments. Retired U.S. Army Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis, the author of Collision Course, stays with us right here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. Peering into the shadows, where the truth often hides. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. Please take a moment and visit my website, strangeplanet.ca, strangeplanet.ca. You can find upcoming show information there, a list of affiliate radio stations across North America that carry this program. There's a link to my podcast, Conspiracy Unlimited, which drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. You can also gain access to my Strange Planet shop, where there's some wonderful merchandise, t-shirts, mugs, sweatshirts, etc. There's an upcoming appearances and events page as well, so you can keep track of my appearances on Coast to Coast AM. And while you're there at strangeplanet.ca, take a moment and subscribe to my free monthly newsletter, Inner Sanctum. Again, the website is strangeplanet.ca, strangeplanet.ca. Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis stays with us, the author of Alliance of Evil, uh, The Deeper State, and his brand new one, Collision Course. Uh, just uh, give us a bit of a tease for the Collision Course uh, book, Bob. What's it about? Well, my concern is the moral implosion 
of really the West uh, because you know, much of the United States, Canada, uh, were established on Christian principles, values, and institutions, and they defined who we became. However, uh, over the last uh, number of years, we began to see those uh, degenerate thanks to radical leftists, Marxists, arguably. Uh, and we've seen a collaboration of mainstream media, uh, certainly uh, the involvement of large uh, tech companies, uh, associations, organizations, and of course there's a, a what I call a rogue gallery of uh, antichrist personalities uh, that you know, are across the you know, the world and of course uh, influencing what happens in this country and many countries in the West. And so what I've done is to kind of profile all of that and then I say, okay, so what? What do you do? And I outline a very specific way in which we can keep these the West from crumbling over the moral tipping point. And I have, uh, you know, fourteen very specific points that are that are based upon um, biblical scripture. And I illustrate that and and say this is one way of approaching the current. Um, you know, moral tipping point that we're facing or a collision course with the future. It, it, it seems that Western civilization in general uh, is in dire need of a cultural and religious revival. Uh, are you are you optimistic that 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 might that that will happen? Well, and, and that's uh, part partly what I'm working on now on the new book and where I'm looking at, you know, where does all of what is happening come from? Well, I go back to the Fabians, uh, the Brits, uh, you know, a century ago. I go to the Frankfurt School uh, in the, you know, really the, the, the 30s uh, under Hitler, and they came over here and they infiltrated our educational institutions and they radically transformed them uh, to social engineering uh, conduits. Uh, I've looked at uh, the influence that our media has come under uh, in terms of manipulating the, the messages and the mindset uh, of the general population. You know, these are all issues of, of grave consequence. And, and I don't think that uh, most people that, you know, you know just live day to day and, you know, try to keep their family straight and, and try to do a job that is honoring to their community, understand the underlying radical movement uh, that has really started to emerge, especially in North America, you know, Canada, United States. Uh, and I try to wrestle with that. Um, it, it is, it's so true, but yet it's hidden to a certain degree. What, what we're seeing, certainly in the United States, with the, the, the fraud in the, the election, what we've seen in the, the summer with uh, Black Lives Matter, Antifa, and the like, these are all part and parcel of what a larger uh, agenda is. Um, you know, I wrote about the deeper state. A lot of people don't quite understand uh, who that deep state is, and I try to define that in three layers and the like, but... You know, these are these are tenuous times, and you know we may not recover as we would like to think that we always have in the past. After world wars and the like, we somehow came back. Uh, these people that are behind this don't want us to recover. They have a very different 
uh, proposition a very different aim for our future. That's so true. I, I think we do need a, a, a great reset, but it's not the one that Carl Schwab and the Billionaire Club at the World Economic Forum have in mind. Uh, I, I think it's a, a great reset. Uh, as you just described, you know, the need for a, a cultural religious revival. Uh, let me ask you about uh, the director of the National Intelligence Agency, John Ratcliffe, another blockbuster, uh, warning of uh, the communist Chinese having infiltrated the highest circles of power, both politically and corporate in America. This was coupled with the release of a video of a Chinese um, person who looked like he was doing sort of the Chinese equivalent of a TED Talk. And again, he was bragging about this very thing, that that we have infiltrated America at the highest level. Your thoughts? Yeah, we have. And they have. Radcliffe is correct. Um, Of course, I wrote uh, Alliance of Evil, and I talk about the ideological war that the Chinese are waging. And it's not just against the Uyghurs and the, the poor citizens, Democrats there in Hong Kong. Uh, it's what they're doing uh, in the West uh, through uh, their infiltration of our school systems and you know, their the propaganda that they promote, yeah, even in open press. Uh, these these are issues of, of grave consequence. Um, yeah, are they in Wall Street? Of course they're in Wall Street. Look at what, you know, when we welcome them into the World Trade Organization, the Chinese, you know, were just ecstatic because we were supporting... Uh, their uh, lifting up of their economy out of the doldrums of, you know, these controlled governmental programs to something that was competitive worldwide. They expanded their markets. They made a lot of people very rich. And so the Chinese uh, have placed, you know, key people in key positions. They brought a lot of our industry and a lot of our capital into China. And then, of course, they, they sucked all the intelligence and the intellectual property out of them. And then they found their way to Wall Street and they found their way here in Washington. There's probably more Chinese spies in Washington, D.C., looking over every single shoulder than there is in, in the 10 next most uh, spying countries in the world in Washington. We know that, uh, and that's why you know, every day we have to think, what are the Chinese going to rob from us today? So it's, you know, the political stuff. We saw this congressman in the San Francisco area the other day. I know that uh, Tucker Carlson talked about it, uh, Swalwell, and how he was uh, infatuated with a Chinese spy. Uh, Diane Feinstein, one of our senators out there, you know, had a Chinese spy as a chauffeur for 20 years. Does somebody really think that these people aren't collecting for a master in Beijing? You know, I used to be on the Iron Curtain years ago and uh, understood how the Russians had infiltrated much of uh, Western Europe, especially West Germany, and how we had to be so cautious about who we talked to. Well, you know, we've kind of yeah, discarded operational security in many parts. And now, of course, the U.S. military is really hammering that into every one of our heads. And we refocused on the fact that we're surrounded in many cases by people that are revealing the secrets of, of our country. And our allies, our Western allies, have got to recognize that this is, this is a different ballgame. These Chinese are as bad, if not worse, than the old Soviets. 
What I find most distressing, perhaps, or equally as distressing, is for four years, the mainstream media, both in Canada and the United States, uh, were using anonymous or relying upon anonymous sources uh, to gin up this Russia, Russia, Russia hoax. They, in fact, impeached a president uh, based on an, anon- an anonymous source, and yet... Uh, in the face of all of this evidence of communist Chinese infiltration, the media is absolutely silent. Uh, silent. They're calling it a conspiracy theory. Uh, very quickly, as we head into a break, your thoughts on that? <laughs> well, it is conspiracy. The Chinese are conspiring with the news media to get what they want out of them. You know, you're not going into communist China uh, if you don't provide them favorable reports. Uh, they know how it works. Uh, they have uh, the their own henchmen that that track uh, everything that our news media reports, and of course the advertisers uh, and the like. You know, just look at the professional uh, basketball teams. You know, they were cowed into you know doing exactly what the Chinese wanted. They weren't going to say things about the Chinese because it was going to hurt their bottom line. So, you know, we've really lost control of. Yeah, some of our most important uh, assets uh, in the West, uh, because they're you know, ethically challenged when it comes to dealing with the Chinese, who you know don't play fair; they play for their own interests, not to our for ours. All right, Bob, stay put. We'll come back and uh, continue uh, this time. Next segment, we'll uh, discuss the U.S. election. Back with more in a moment. Stay with us. Providing the evidence and letting you draw your own conclusions. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. Retired U.S. Army Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis stays with us. The Deeper State, Alliance of Evil, and Collision Course. How do we get a hold of these books, Bob? Well, they're all on Amazon. Uh, and, you know, just order them all. And uh, you've got a new book coming out. When is the uh, the release date on that? Do we know? Yeah, we'll be in late spring. It's about what's going on now, so I'm I'm busy every day trying to keep it up to date. No doubt, no doubt. Let me get your reaction to the um, the recent, the most recent uh, development in this ongoing U.S. election saga that is being now uh, contested by, I believe, the number is up to twenty states supporting Texas, um, applying to the Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, they're suing the four swing states, Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Georgia. In fact, senators in Pennsylvania, some in Georgia, um, and I believe also in Michigan, have joined in this suit against these four swing states in an attempt to get the election overturned. What are your thoughts? Will they be successful? Well, you know, it depends upon if the Supreme Court uh, takes it on. Uh, clearly, you know, what uh, Ken Paxton, the Texas Attorney General, uh, has done is said that these four states uh, exploited the, the COVID-19 pandemic uh, to ignore election law. And, of course, election law, you know, really infringes upon the way it was done, our First Amendment rights to the U.S. Constitution. So if as the U.S. Supreme Court sees it that way, then they're going to intervene and they could perhaps uh, toss out 
the election results of those four states, which obviously are decisive because of the number of electors. And then it could be left up to the state legislatures uh, to actually send electors uh, to uh, the the uh, elect. Uh, to collect the election college or electoral college uh, when it convenes here in a week and then decide whether or not uh, Trump uh, did in fact win or lose. Uh, it, it's that uh, decisive. Now, there, you know, I, I reflect on the fact that months ago, uh, and I, I'm concerned about this, that Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the U.S. House, uh, was you know, bantering about the, what we call the 25th Amendment. The 25th Amendment is the removal of a president for cause, uh, dementia, or whatever. Uh, and why in the world would the Speaker of the House, the third most per- powerful person in the United States, all of a sudden, uh, months before an election, begin to have that an open discussion? Well, it seems to me that, and anyone that's watching uh, Mr. Biden's performance you know, says that maybe he, he, he's not uh, functioning as well as he should, and that you know, perhaps even the Democrats uh, have a plan to remove him and install after the inauguration, uh, Ms. Harris as the new president. Uh, there's so much that's going on. But, you know, just looking at what is is being done in the courts, what's being done in the press, what the Democrats and the Republicans are saying, um, it certainly keeps you up at night. Uh, based on uh, the affidavits, the, the sworn testimony of uh, hundreds of uh, affiants, the testimony before uh, state legislatures and so forth. Are you uh, convinced that there was widespread orchestrated election fraud perpetrated? I'm of the opinion that there certainly was some. What I don't know and what I think concerns me more so than you know, pulling out suitcases full of ballots in Georgia, as I've seen a video, uh, is the manipulation of the machines that were doing the counting? Because I've I understand that uh, an equal number of ballots from for both of the two major candidates went into one machine, and Mr. Biden won by 26 percent after the tally was made. That doesn't make any sense. Uh, what I do know. Uh, is that uh, some of these machines, going back to my China problem, uh, some of these machines not only have Chinese components, but were manufactured uh, by Chinese firms. Is my question, and I don't have an answer to this, is is there some manipulation through that uh, vantage point? Um, And, of course, there are all sorts of conspiracy theories out there. I, I think that most people just want to know what are the ground facts, the ground truth about this. Was there cheating? How did it, was it sufficient to overturn the election if it were reversed? And of course, you know, our Justice Department ought to be looking at that, uh, and perhaps they are, and they haven't announced it yet, but uh, this is really uh, tearing at the very foundation of this country. 
Uh, precisely, and we'll pick up on that very point when we come back. Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis, retired U.S. Army, the author of Collision Course, The Deeper State, Alliance of Evil and Future Wars. Right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Take a look around. What do you really see? This is where you can tell all about it. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. A few moments remain with Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis, retired U.S. Army. Uh, Bob, let me pick up on that last point about uh, the precarious nature the United States now finds itself in. At what point do we have to start seriously considering civil war? Yeah, I've been asked that before, Richard. Um, yeah, I don't think anybody likes civil war. Uh, however, uh, the United States at the present is very, very divided. Um, and to a certain degree, it's because we've neglected uh, the education of our children who have been indoctrinated by the left uh, through, you know, the Frankfurt School I talked about or the Fabians or others uh, over the years. You know, the conservative side, certainly the Christian community has just allowed the public education establishment to transform. Uh, and the kids that we send off, especially to some of the liberal arts colleges, come back with ideas that they certainly didn't get from mom and dad at home. Uh, so that, that's significant. Uh, Civil War, I, I hope not. Uh, I know that there are, uh, you know, certainly Michael Flynn talked about you know, the, the president ought to declare martial law, which there, you know, there is a precedent uh, under Article 1, Section 9 of the Constitution uh, regarding the privilege of habeas corpus. And we'll have to see if we ever get to that point. I hope we don't. I hope we can figure out how somehow we can get along. But as we saw in the riots this past summer, as we've seen in the rancor between uh, the opposing political parties in this country, as we've seen from uh, the mainstream media that doesn't understand the difference between fact and fake, uh, you know, we have some very serious uh, perhaps existential issues that we must come to grips with. And I hope as a country we can pull together. You know, if we had another 9-11 like we did uh, in America was attacked and thousands of Americans were to lay dead because of an external attack, would we come together again? I'm beginning to be somewhat pessimistic that we have the, the wherewithal left in the country to do precisely that. So uh, these could be new times, uh, and certainly they could be very dangerous times. If the Supreme Court attempt is unsuccessful, let's assume that he uh, acquiesces and agrees to a, a, a peaceful transfer of power, and we have a Biden-Harris administration, uh, how concerned are you, uh, given the well there's a current fbi investigation into hunter biden for tax fraud but we know that it goes much deeper than that and it may lead all the way to the white house in terms of again chinese influence uh how concerned are you that a biden administration is again so severely compromised uh that they will be in in essence a chinese asset I think that's a real possibility, uh, as well as what what most people don't know is that uh, Kamala Harris, uh, of course, her her folks are 
uh, leftists out of Stanford. Uh, her first uh, boyfriend was Willie Brown, who you know, was a good friend of the, the dictator in communist China, and she surrounded herself with a, a lot of Marxists over the years to include her own uh, campaign manager this past summer, who uh, was very, very radical. Um, so, you know, whether we keep uh, Biden, if he is eventually inaugurated, and the compromise is uh, obviously associated with Hunter Biden, I think that um, the vice president, based upon, you know, the, the Tucker Carlson interview a month ago, um, with uh, the, the the business partner of Hunter, you know, he said that uh, Joe Biden was very much involved in the transactions, and he was getting, you know, what ten percent or whatever uh, of the take. Uh, if all that is true, and I have no reason to believe uh, otherwise, uh, then yes, uh, the government uh, could be compromised because the commander in chief, the executive of the United States. Uh, is beholding to communist Chinese who happen to have the goods on him and his family. Now, whether or not he would compromise uh, the entire country uh, because of uh, his own family's failings, I don't know. Uh, I would hope not. Uh, but uh, like I said, these are interesting times. Uh, we, um, we were familiar with a, an executive order uh, that President Trump signed, I believe, in 2018, uh, which dealt with the possibility of foreign interference in an election uh, and the, the steps that could be taken to to uh, remediate that. Uh, I'm wondering, is is it possible that we're not aware, at least in the, in the public, that that this election fraud, if it in fact occurred, is no longer a political issue. It's no longer even a judicial issue. It is now a military issue. Uh, we may not hear about it or read about it, but in fact, behind the scenes, uh, steps are being taken. Are you able to comment on that? Well, keep in mind the DNI and the FBI uh, had a press conference uh, before the election. And what did they say? They felt that there wouldn't be um, a too much interference externally. No. Uh, were they doing that just to smooth over uh, ruffled feathers as people uh, were anxious about uh, the voting on the 3rd of November and all the you know, forecasts that things weren't going to go all that well, as they didn't? Or really behind the scenes, uh, were there things going on as often as the case? And not only did we have the NSA listening to everything possible? We were using all sorts of cyber activities. Uh, we were using things that we don't even see and talk about uh, to monitor what was going on. Uh, likely, uh, we have a fairly good idea as to uh, what the Russians, Chinese, and others uh, may or may not have done. Uh, were we told the truth uh, prior to the election? Um, I'll let you judge of that. But once again, uh, what we've seen over the last month is indicative of uh, malfeasance. Uh, it's also indicative that um, perhaps there's much more that we're yet to learn. Well, let me get your reaction very quickly to this as we, we wind down here. Uh, we're hearing some seemingly, you know, uh, unbelievable stories about what might be 
occurring behind the scenes, one of which has been uh, roundly uh, debunked by the mainstream media, uh, although the rumor persists that there was a military raid on the uh, the um, where the servers are located for the uh, for the election uh, in in Frankfurt, Germany. I believe this was Seidel. Uh, that there was a raid, a military raid, and uh, shots exchanged, fire, uh, and uh, uh, someone from the CIA was perhaps even killed or uh, injured. In other words, this battle going on backstage between various forces, in this case, the military versus the CIA. What can you tell us about that? What have you heard? Well, I've only uh, heard what most people have. I know General McInerney, who uh, has been on various programs um, elaborating on this, and he even acknowledges he cannot validate you know, you know, some of the information. He's only reporting second or, or third hand. Uh, have we been involved in... Uh, other countries' elections, I don't know with certitude. I suspect that uh, we do things like other intelligence operatives around the world that serve our nation's best interests. Uh, is what is described here possible? I suspect that it is. Uh, would it be hidden? Quite possibly. Um, so I-, I can't give you any uh, direct answers. What I can do is uh, suggest that uh, in today's age of uh, and what we know on the surface, uh, a lot is quite possible, and we may never know, or if we do know, it's going to be uh, many years down the line. Uh, final word, Bob. Are you are you uh, are you af- are you frightened for your country at this point? I am concerned. Not frightened, uh, but I am also very cognizant that a lot of Americans are fearful. It's not just because of uh, COVID-19, which is being used as a, a tool to instigate fear. Uh, it's not just because uh, record gun sales, which I understand what happens when you have a fearful country. Uh, I'd like to see uh, more uh a better leadership, let's say, across the board. And all I'm seeing is finger-pointing and not a lot of coming together. Uh, we usually come together after elections. This one we have not. And so uh, I am very concerned, uh, and I'm hopeful and prayerful uh, that uh, common sense will prevail and that people will begin to, to see that uh, the greater interest is in collaboration and truth-telling and not in you know political spin and lying as some people have been doing. Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis, thank you so much for your time as always. Well, thank you, Richard. My thanks to Ryan White, Carlos Kajina. I'll be back next week with two hours of open lines. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.